my friends, I tell you, I thought Canada was bad at censorship, and it is. But the things that they're saying in the White House are terrifying. Directing Facebook to censor mean tweets and dissident ideas on the lockdown. It's crazy. I'll show you a bunch of clips from Jen Psaki. That's Joe Biden's spokesman. Um, But let me invite you to become a subscriber to what we call Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. You get my weekly show, Sheila Gunn-Reed's show, David Menzies, Andrew Chapados, and the satisfaction of knowing you're keeping Canada's free speech channel, that's us, alive. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. Thanks. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, the President of the United States is telling Facebook to delete posts it finds problematic. It's July 16th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Big tech censorship is out of control. They have long lists of things you specifically can't say. I mean, lists very specific, very weird. You can say that the 2016 U.S. presidential election was unfair, for example, that Hillary Clinton actually won. But you can't say the same thing about the 2020 presidential election. That's pretty specific, isn't it? You can't promote ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine as remedies for COVID-19, but you can recommend them for any other malady, even ones you make up. You can say you're the king of the moon, and that's fine. But if you say that a transgender athlete is a he instead of a she on Twitter, that's called illegal misgendering, and you'll be suspended. It's pretty extreme, but not extreme enough for Joe Biden and the Democrats in the United States, or Justin Trudeau and the Liberals and New Democrats in Canada. Take a look at this clip from Jen Psaki, Joe Biden's spokesman in the United States. Listen to this. So about, I think this was a question asked before, there's about 12 people who are producing 65% of anti-vaccine misinformation on social media platforms. All of them remain active on Facebook, despite some even being banned on other platforms, including Facebook, ones that Facebook owns. Third, uh, it's important to take faster action against harmful posts. As you all know, information travels quite quickly on social media platforms. Sometimes it's not accurate, and Facebook needs to move more quickly to remove harmful, uh, uh, violative posts. Posts that will be within their policies for removal often remain up for days. That's too long. The information spreads too quickly. Finally, We uh, have proposed they promote quality information sources in their feed algorithm. Facebook has repeatedly shown that they have the leverage to promote quality information. We've seen them effectively do this um, in their algorithm over low quality information, and they've chosen not to use it in this case, and that's certainly an area that would have an impact. So these are uh, certainly the proposals. Uh, We engage with them regularly, and they certainly understand what our asks are. There's a lot in there. The government is tracking 12 people that they don't like. So they're not criminals. They're not like on the FBI Most Wanted list. They're they're not breaking the law. They're just saying things the Democrats don't like, and the government is tracking them? 
Imagine if Donald Trump or Stephen Harper had done that to liberals he didn't like. It's not just a subject of disagreement, according to Saki. What they're saying is harmful, and Facebook needs to move. So that's an instruction to Facebook. They need to. They just have to. And in case that wasn't clear enough, uh, the White House has been in constant touch with big tech companies, making proposals, engaging with those companies to censor people they hate. I wonder who those 12 enemies are. And to promote quality points of view, which of course means people who agree with them. Here's a Fox News reporter asking a question you'd think every journalist would be asking. Are you spying on people on Facebook? For how long has the administration been spying on people's Facebook profiles looking for vaccine misinformation? Well, that was quite a loaded and inaccurate question, um, which I would refute. Well, Peter, first of all, as you know, we're in, we're in a regular touch with with a range of media outlets. As, as, as let me finish. As we are, as we are in regular touch with social media platforms. This is publicly uh, open information. People sharing information online, just as you are all reporting information on your news stations. But, okay, so these twelve people who you have on a list, twelve individuals. Do they know that somebody at the Surgeon General's office is going through their profile? I'm happy to get you the citation of where that comes from. There's no secret list. I will tell you that these are people who are sharing information on public platforms on Facebook. Information that is traveling is inaccurate. I thought this part was creepy. Saki's saying that she wants all the big tech companies to act as a cartel. If you're banned from one, you should be banned from all of them. She's saying the quiet part out loud. Uh, providing uh, for, for Facebook or other platforms to measure and publicly share the impact of misinformation on their platform uh, and the audience it's reaching. Uh, also with the public, with all of you, um, to create robust enforcement strategies that bridge their properties and provide transparency about rules. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others uh, if you afford uh, uh, providing misinformation out there. Another reporter from a different network asked the question, why isn't the government going harder? Thanks, Jen. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about this uh, request for tech companies to be more aggressive in policing misinformation? Has the administration been in touch with any of these companies? And are there any actions that the federal government can take to ensure their cooperation? Because we've seen from the start, there's not a lot of action on some of these platforms. Sure. Uh, well, first, we are in regular touch uh, with these social media platforms. Uh, and those uh, engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, but also members of our COVID. 19 team. Uh, given, as Dr. Murth Murthy uh, conveyed, uh, this is a big issue of misinformation, specifically on the pandemic. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. So they're flagging posts for Facebook, just being helpful, I guess. Facebook's not flagging them hard enough already. So this is just friendly help because Facebook doesn't have enough staff, maybe? They might be missing things. So, so the White House is just helping a company do its censorship work. Senior staff are pressuring Facebook. But no, they're not censoring anything themselves. Who gave you that crazy idea?
Keep that in mind. About things that are on Facebook, I looked this morning. Uh, there are videos of Dr. Fauci from 2020 before anybody had a vaccine, and he is out there saying there's no reason to be walking around with a mask. So is the administration going to contact Facebook and ask them to take that down? Well, first, I think what Dr. Fauci has said himself, who's been quite public out there, is that science evolves, information evolves, and we make that available in a public way to the American people. Exactly. I, I, I have never seen any data to suggest that, uh, that the vaccines cause infertility. That is information that is irresponsibly traveling. Okay. Sure, uh, just I one think more. Just one more. Sorry. Just one more. Okay. About the science, about the science evolving, Facebook used to post, uh, used to block people from posting that COVID may have originated for a lab. That is something this president now admits is a possibility. So is there any concern that things you are trying to block or have taken down might someday turn out to be? We don't take anything down. We don't block anything. Facebook and any private sector company makes decisions about what information should be on their platform. Our point is that there is information that is leading to people not taking the vaccine and people are dying as a result. And we have a responsibility as a public health matter to raise that issue. The responsibility we all have, the government, media, platforms, public messengers to give accurate information. Go ahead. Facebook is already the world's largest censor, censoring people in almost every country. I say almost every country because Facebook is not allowed in China or a handful of other authoritarian regimes that don't want to outsource censorship to Facebook. They want to do it themselves. Two billion people are censored by Facebook. And the thing about that is you're often being censored by people in other countries who have their own illiberal authoritarian political traditions. I mean, who is this woman? And how is she in charge of anything you do or say here in Canada? And what we're trying to find, of course, I think many of us who are engaging in this conversation is that is that middle road. How do you moderate content? And when? how do you find that balance between uh, human rights uh, and free, free speech, which is a human rights, uh, but also other human rights, because obviously free speech is not an absolute human right. It has to be balanced with other human rights. And that is what the oversight is there uh, to do. Until now, we have seen uh, uh, content moderation, as I said, from a few, few select few in, in Silicon Valley, and ultimately Mark Zuckerberg has been moderating content. Now we have uh, the oversight board, which is a completely new invention uh, to do this work. Um, and, and of course, I want to say that I think this is a very, very positive new way of doing it. That's a former Scandinavian politician, but She's now on Facebook's censorship committee, along with this failed British politician. They're the ones who actually decided to censor Donald Trump. They're foreign meddlers. Speaking of foreigners, let me show you something from a left-wing Danish TV station. This was on YouTube, by the way, but then they took it down. Let me give you the background. Tommy Robinson was set to go to Copenhagen for a free speech award, and this local left-wing TV station wasn't happy about it. They don't like Tommy Robinson. They think he's an intolerant extremist. They don't tolerate intolerance. So they were going to do a show condemning Tommy Robinson, and they put their Facebook page, a post, asking their viewers to, to give them their opinion. So if I'm not clear, they hate Tommy Robinson. They were going to attack Tommy Robinson. But when they simply put his name and face on their Facebook page, it was deleted by Facebook within nine minutes. And they couldn't believe it. They had never been censored before. The left-wing TV station, I mean, they just always thought that happened to the bad people like Tommy Robinson, not the good people like them. So 
they called up the Facebook boss for all of Scandinavia to ask him about it, and he actually came on the show, and you've just got to watch a few minutes of this. It's amazing. I'm going to play five minutes, but you're not going to regret it. Take a look. Først slettede Facebook den radikale højrefløjsaktivist Tommy Robinsons profil. Så begyndte Facebook at slette opslag, der støttede Tommy Robinson. Og nu er Facebook så begyndt at slette opslag, der bare nævner Tommy Robinsons navn. Er det en måde at håndtere vores fælles samtale på? Jeg spørger Facebooks nordiske kommunikationschef Peter Mønster om et øjeblik. Facebook har removed me. I had 1.2 million. I was the most the most interacted with political Facebook page in Britain. I had a political, I had a reach and an interaction that politicians could only dream of. If I went live, I'd have 20,000 people watching me instantly. That would then spread to millions by the next day. Når den radikale højrefløjsaktivist Tommy Robinson talte dunder om indvandring og islam, nåede hans budskaber engang bredt ud på Facebook. Det gør de ikke længere. I februar blev Tommy Robinson nemlig smidt af Facebook, og hans side blev lukket. Og ikke nok med det, på det seneste har bandlysningen fået andre konsekvenser. På det seneste har en masse danske Facebook-brugere nemlig oplevet, at opslag er blevet fjernet til synlæderne alene, fordi de omtaler Tommy Robinson. Og det har vagt hård kritik. Bliver vores ytringsfrihed reelt ødelagt, og hvorfor reagerer magthaverne ikke, spørg for eksempel nye borgerlige Lars Borg Mathisen på sin blog i Jyllandspost. Tilsvarende spørg jurister SF'er Leif Dunbæk i Ekstrabladet, om vi kan leve med, at det er en privat amerikansk virksomhed, der egenhændigt dikterer, hvorledes vi skal have en offentlig debat. Samtidig med, at han vel og mærke kalder Robinson en kæmpe idiot. Efter at have delt sin klumme på Facebook, er Donbæk i øvrigt netop blevet udelukket fra at lave opslag og kommentere på Facebook de næste 24 timer. Og på sin hjemmeside skriver Trygge Frihedsselskabet i dag, at selskabet er blevet truet med at få fjernet sin Facebook-side, og her til aften meddeler de så, at de er blevet blokeret fra at poste på den. Desuden skriver formand Aya Fogh, at hun selv er blevet blokeret i 30 dage på grund af omtale af Tommy Robinson. Ifølge få kommer forbuddet ikke fra Facebook selv, men citat fra stærke politiske kræfter, der mere eller mindre direkte lægger pres på de sociale medier. Citat slut. Den forklaring ligner Tommy Robinsons egen. That's why I said it's good to be seen, because I've been completely unperson from all social media, even Snapchat, Instagram, and the maddest thing is, I've done nothing wrong. They run with these lies. They keep saying that I promoted violence against Muslims. Show me where. Show me one screenshot that I done. Peter Münster, Nordisk kommunikationschef for Facebook. Han vil lige så her Tommy Robinson. Er han så farlig, at alene det at nævne hans navn gør verden til et farligt sted? Altså problemet er ikke i udgangspunktet, at man nævner hans navn. Problemet er, at han har han er faldet i en kategori af det, vi vurderer er hadprædikanter. Altså folk, som primært bruger deres position i det offentlige rum til at organisere had eller til at opbinde til vold mod en minoritet. Og, og det tillader vi ikke. Vi tillader ikke, at man deler hate speech, racistiske angreb, men, men vi tillader faktisk heller ikke, at folk, som har det som en væsentlig del af deres offentlige 
arbejde offentlig profil øh, og opfordrer folk til, til noget lignende. Så, så det er en hård sanktion. Det er en hård sanktion mod ham. Øh, ham har I udelukket, men det der jo så sker nu, det er, at også folk, der omtaler Tommy Robinson, får fjernet deres opslag, bliver blokeret eller bliver truet med at blive pillet helt af Facebook. Hvordan hænger det sammen? Altså, vores, vores regler forbyder ikke, at man omtaler øh, Tommy Robinson. Man må godt skrive, at ham kan man ikke lide, eller at ham synes man er en, en, en EU, som det, som det blev, blev nævnt her i introen. Og som er blevet pillet af? Ja, og, og, det, er, og det er så et andet spørgsmål. Men, men i udgangspunktet, der er øh, det, man ikke må ifølge vores regler, det er at støtte eller hylde, eller på anden måde sådan give en repræsentation til de her hadprædikanter. Hvad betyder det at give en repræsentation? Jamen det betyder, at hvis vi har en politik, som betyder, at en mand som Tommy Robinson ikke må have en profil, og han heller ikke må have en side, så går det selvfølgelig heller ikke, at han har en følgerskare, som kan være på Facebook og sige, jeg har talt med Tommy Robinson i dag, han bad mig om at sige til jer alle sammen, at sådan og sådan og sådan. Okay. Så det har vi også en politik imod. Jeg vil godt lige holde fast i det, du sagde, var et andet spørgsmål. Jeg vil godt lige vise dig et øh, opslag, som min redaktør øh, lavede tidligere i dag. Øh, han skrev på Facebook, i aften skal vi deadline lave noget om Tommy Robinson. Hvad er den bedste artikel om Tommy Robinson, vi skal læse på redaktionen? Mm. Der gik ni minutter, så blev det opslag fjernet. Er det fremmende for sådan forståelsen af et fænomen som Tommy Robinson og muligheden for at tale om den tænkning, han repræsenterer, at sådan et opslag bliver fjernet? I'd show you the whole video, but we don't have time for that. You can find this video not on YouTube, by the way. You have to go to a dissident video site called BitChute to find it. It's worth watching in full. This Facebook guy can't actually name anything or prove that Tommy Robinson, he can't show anything Tommy did that was promoting violence, for example, but he still equated him with a terrorist. I'm serious. You can only denounce Tommy Robinson on Facebook. You can't praise him. You can't even just say what he says. He's literally been unpersoned. So that's what happened. But look at what the Facebook boss then said. There's a secret list of people who are blacklisted, and you can't see who's on the list, and you can't appeal, and you can't get off it, and just trust us. Hvad betyder det i det her tilfælde? Fordi i det her tilfælde, der er der jo sådan, det er jo et, et retssikkerhedsspørgsmål i det omfang, at I nu er vores fælles infrastruktur for vores fælles offentlige samtale. Så hvor kan enten dem, der bliver dømt ude, eller også journalister, som skal stille magthaver til ansvar, hvor kan vi gå, gå jer efter i sømne i sådan en situation? Altså, vi er ikke platformen for den offentlige samtale. Vi er en platform, som supplerer den offentlige samtale, der har været i mange år. Men fra 16 til 24-årige, for en fjerdedel af dem, er i de sociale medier i hvert fald den eneste platform, de tilgår nyheder for. Ja, og det er et stort ansvar. Det er jo nærmest at være platformen. Og det er noget, vi tager meget alvorligt. Så hvor kan man gå efter i sømne? Altså, som sagt, den her konkrete liste er ikke offentlig. Og det er en liste over dem, der er helt udelukket som Tommy Robinson. Det er en liste over de personer, hvor vi ud over... Altså vores almindelige regler imod øh, hate speech faktisk heller ikke tillader øh, folk at hylde eller støtte dem. Kan man se den liste? Nej, det kan man ikke. ikke. Hvor lang er den? Jamen det ved jeg ikke. Jeg har faktisk heller ikke set den selv. Står Hitler på den? Står Pol Pot på den? Jeg ved det ikke. Det, det er som sagt ikke min rolle at være nede i alle detaljer omkring de her afgørelser. Hvem har bestemt, hvem der står på den liste? Det har det team, vi har, der laver vores politikker. Altså, altså nogle af Facebooks ansatte? Ja, og det er, noget, det er et arbejde, de udfører øh, på, 
Altså i samarbejde med eksterne eksperter, når de har brug for So that's, by the way, from a couple years ago. Imagine the now. And they even have voice recognition. You can't even say the word Tommy Robinson. And now they're going after 12 people in the United States, they won't say who, who have the wrong ideas, not about terrorism, but about the pandemic and lockdowns and vaccines. Funny, because what is our wrong idea about the pandemic? Is it still wrong to say the virus came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Because that's what was banned last year. Is that still banned this year or is that now back in vogue? I, I showed you just yesterday Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister. I thought she was an extremist and she is, but she's really not that much worse than these Americans. We will share with you the most up-to-date information daily. You can trust us as a source of that information. Uh, you can also trust the Director General of Health and the Ministry of Health. For that information, do feel free to visit at any time to clarify any rumour you may hear, covid19.govt.nz. Otherwise, dismiss anything else. We will continue to be your single source of truth. We will provide information frequently. We will share everything we can, uh, everything you are, else you see, um, a grain of salt. Uh, and so I really ask people to focus. The most egregious example of that appears to be this text which originated in Malaysia and has kind of a, has become a viral hoax in Australia and in New Zealand. How irresponsible is it the people that are sharing that news of a lockdown imminent in New Zealand? Yeah, and, and look, that's the kind of thing that adds um, to the anxiety that people feel. So I continue to share the message. New Zealanders must prepare, but do not panic. Prepare. And, and when you see those messages, remember that unless you hear it from us, um, it is not the truth. And I really ask people, just visit um, uh, covid19.govt.nz. It has all of the up-to-date information. And we will continue to provide everything you need to know. And why am I blaming New Zealand and America? Of course, There's Canada. This is from Blacklock's reporter. Tweets undermine Canada. Lawful but offensive Twitter posts are undermining Canada's democracy. Heritage Minister Stephen Gilboa's department says in a briefing note, regulation of hurtful comments is needed for a truly democratic debate, it said. Got it, got it. If we really want to democratize our democracy, we've got to censor our democracy democratically, of course. What, what to make it more free, you have to make it less free? My friends, things are about to get worse. Stay with us for more. Well, last time we spoke to you about the Fight the Fines project, We had 1,834 cases. I can't even believe that. I remember when we took our first case, it was actually Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky who was fined for feeding the homeless. Well, 1,834, our friend Victoria Solomon, who's the legal coordinator for Fight the Fund, she went on a much-deserved <laughs> holiday for a week just to take some time off. You've been going full tilt for so long. You've come back mm -hmm. and... I asked you, well, what's the latest number? And you told it to me, but I want you to tell our viewers, how many Fight the Fines cases do we have, including those that we're just now distributing to lawyers across the country? What is the total figure? Well, when I came back from my vacation this week, I counted the client number again, and it was 2,006 people. Like, this is just a mind-boggling number. I can't even believe that. I remember when I announced at a staff meeting 
that I wanted to take a thousand cases. I said a thousand cases.、Yeah. I was, and everyone looked at me and said, "You're crazy. What are you doing?"、Uh, and here we are at over two thousand cases.、Um, I'm exuberant that we can take so many, but at the same time, each one of these cases is a disaster for the individual family or or person. Who's been hit with this? I mean, I'm excited that we're taking,、mm-hmm. and that's why I'm sort of laughing that the number is large.、Mm-hmm. I'm laughing at the absurdity of it. But there's actually no humor in it because each one of these cases is someone who's facing stress, possibly financial ruin, in some cases a criminal record,、mm-hmm. and actually, one of our clients, Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky, has served three days in jail. Another client. Um, Chris Scott from、uh, the Whistle Stop Diner. He was in jail too.、Mm-hmm. So each one of these is a potential life-altering crisis.、Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to be serious. We've got to keep fighting. Oh, definitely. And some of the quarantine act tickets. I mean, in Ontario, there's three thousand seven hundred fifty dollars, and people, certain people, have multiple. Tickets arising out of the same occasions, so th- there may be a family with up to twenty thousand dollar worth of tickets. You know, unless you are a millionaire, a twenty thousand dollar bundle of fines will break your family.、Oh, definitely, you, it'll it'll possibly force you into bankruptcy. It could force you to miss your mortgage payments.、Um, obviously, there's no more eating out. There's no more vacations.、Um, no more kids sports. A twenty thousand dollar after-tax penalty is—that's. I mean, when you think of it act, in terms of after-tax, that's half a year's work for an ordinary family.、Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and it's not, not only the financial aspect, but people are stressed. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And I'm glad we we're able to step in and help people. I mean, by providing them legal assistance, by supporting them morally. Now you were on a well-deserved one one week <laughs> vacation. I'm saying that because you you were telling me, and I hope you don't mind me telling it to the camera. You were telling me you were having dreams、oh, about yeah, cases, and I I know that if you're dreaming about work, that means you needed a vacation. Yeah, a no, it, it was very nice to have time off.、Um, but while you were away, obviously we still had hands on deck. We have two full-time paralegals,、mm-hmm. and we have a team of lawyers around the country. Around twenty. Yeah, I'd say so. And actually, we have three full-time paralegals now. Three full-time. We just hired、uh, Mark Cardi. I'm very excited about him. He he was actually a provincial offense prosecutor. Really, he, he was a prosecutor. Yeah, who's provincial now a par- offense、wow. prosecutor. And then Saskatchewan, we have a new team member,、um, a new lawyer, Luke Kupal, and he was also、um, a crown prosecutor. And he's doing just an amazing job、wow. for our clients. Isn't that so, great? So we've got. I mean, if you're a prosecutor, you really know how it works, how the、oh, other、yeah. side thinks. So now to come and fight for our side,、mm-hmm. that's very exciting. I remember you mentioned his name to me, but I didn't. I didn't really know much about him.、Mm-hmm. Now, while we have people's attention, there is one province that we've been having a little bit of trouble recruiting、mm-hmm. a lawyer. Why don't you tell our people about that? If there is a lawyer watching、mm-hmm. who's interested in joining Fight the Fines, we do pay. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get rich、um, doing this kind of law, but you will get paid. We we don't have any pro bono lawyers、mm-hmm. or paralegals because we want people to really fight hard, and we don't want them. You know, I find that lawyers when they do pro bono, it's always well intentioned, but it seems to fall down their priority、mm-hmm. list because they have to earn a living. So we pay lawyers. Tell us where we need help to to fill in the gaps.、Yeah. So we need help in the maritimes, in particular in Nova Scotia. We have over. Twenty clients that have asked for help, and we've been trying hard to 
find a lawyer in Nova Scotia. We've asked clients to assist, and so far, unfortunately, we have not been lucky. And I believe we have one client that asked for help in Newfoundland, and we don't have a lawyer there either. So if there is anyone interested in uh, assisting us who practices in the Maritimes, uh, we would be more than happy to have a new member join us. And you know what, people can get, uh, people can send me a note and I'll pass it to you. Mm -hmm. Just send me a note at Ezra at rebelnews.com and I'll pass it on to Victoria. You know, I went to the law school myself out west, so I know lots of lawyers in Calgary and Edmonton mm -hmm. and whatnot, but I just don't have that many buddies mm -hmm. in the Atlantic. I, I, you know, you know, the one fellow we yeah. tried to get on board with this. We do need people on the ground out there because every province has slightly different procedure. Yes. The laws are different province by province. Yeah. Uh, and so we just need, and we don't want to fly someone out there. We just need someone in Halifax mm -hmm. mainly and Newfoundland, mm -hmm. St. John's, mm -hmm. uh, to help. So if you can help, go to EzraRebelNews.com, send me a note. Um, well, th that's good. Now, last time we spoke, you told me that 91 cases had been resolved, including dozens where the Crown Prosecutor, when he looked at the ticket, said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to go to court with this. Mm -hmm. They basically realized mm -hmm. that it was a junk ticket meant to scare people mm -hmm. into paying a fine. Mm -hmm. To me, that's appalling that they're handing out such rotten tickets and hoping just the fear factor will make people pay them, mm -hmm. fear and stress. Mm -hmm. in, a, in a sense, those are the best ones because they're the most unjust if they were to proceed. Mm -hmm. What's your latest stats? Do you know the latest stats in terms of how we're moving along? Um, they haven't changed since then, but unfortunately, in, I mean, compared to 2000, people, yeah. like that, that's a pretty... It's 5%. Yeah, anything, yeah, it's yeah. a pretty small amount, so we have a fight ahead of us, definitely. Now, um, I mentioned the very first case we took was Arthur Pavlovsky 15 months ago. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked about how one of the rules in our in our criminal law system and in our chart of rights is the right to a speedy trial mm -hmm. because evidence it fades away, memories fade. Um, it's hard to defend what you did two, three, four years ago if mm -hmm. you can't even remember exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. our memories fade. And it's unfair to the accused because you have this cloud over you for years, this mm -hmm. stress, mm -hmm. the stigma, even though you're not convicted yet, the fact that you've been charged or accused or ticketed is a kind mm -hmm. of a blemish. Mm -hmm. And you need that trial to acquit mm -hmm. yourself of that. Mm -hmm. So here's a question to you. If the first cases we took were from April 2020, mm -hmm. May, June, July, so we're 15 months into it. Yeah. By the time we get around 18 months, like mm -hmm. that's about the time that these cases start to really rot mm -hmm. from the point of view of the prosecution. Mm -hmm. Is it 18 months, 24 months? What's sort of, uh, what's the standard rule, do you think? I believe it, it's somewhere between 18 and 24 months, depending on the offense. So I think we're approaching um, a decision point for a lot of these governments. Mm -hmm. Do you prosecute? Do you have that vindictive spirit? Do you want to go for that grandma and that grandpa and, and ring out a thousand bucks? If so, mm -hmm. you know, we've got a lot of lawyers but the government has unlimited resources. Mm -hmm. They could hire 20 prosecutors like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the judges would think. So really, I think we're coming on that decision time, aren't we? Yeah, I think, I think it remains to be seen how courts are going to deal with this. I mean, ultimately, uh, I think it will be up to the judge if this comes before 
him or her and um, the unreasonable delay argument is raised, it's possible that they will decide to extend this period due to the pandemic. But I mean, it remains to be seen how the courts will deal with this. In Ontario, uh, most jurisdictions haven't been hearing contested matters, and this is why none of our cases have come up for trial. Because we're fighting them all. Yeah. So, so and, and the courts are basically closed. Unless it's like an COVID. emergency matter, right? Yeah, and and I, the tickets haven't been, you know, classified as an emergency matter. So mm -hmm. this is why we haven't had trials in most mm -hmm. jurisdictions. Well, I mean, we haven't had any trials yet. Mm -hmm. We had we have two in Alberta that started and have been adjourned, but it's mostly because courts have been closed due to COVID. Mm -hmm. So when they reopen now and things start moving, we will see how this um, unreasonable delay issue is going to be dealt with. It's very, very interesting from an academic point of oh, view. Definitely. But we've got to remember, and I chuckled at the number 2006, but you know, one person being ground down is a tragedy, 2000 is a statistic. And so we always have to remember it's individual families going through this. Um, for a while there, the largest fine for any of our clients was $14,000. It was the church mm -hmm. in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan which we have since won. Mm -hmm. They dropped that. Have you heard, you mentioned $3,000 fine mm -hmm. multiplied by family members. Mm -hmm. So you said somewhere around 20 grand. What is, is that the largest fine that you've seen out of these 2,000? Yeah, I think I think so. The 14,000 as an individual fine, I think that's the largest one that I've seen. Yeah, I'm, yes. Uh, but but because, uh, you know, the, there may be multiple family members getting those quarantine yeah. act tickets, it just, gets ridiculous and sometimes it may be four family members, two tickets per family member multiplied by four. Like that's just a mind staggering amount. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just for the viewers, seriously, imagine if you had to come up with 14000 or $20,000 for some foolish COVID hotel that was frankly more dangerous than just going home yeah. to your own house. It's just crazy. Now, can you tell me, you mentioned cases are still coming in. Mm-hmm. You would think that the lockdown is easing in most parts of Can Canada, so mm -hmm. maybe the, the flow of cases would be declining. How many cases on any given day are coming in? It looked like a lot came in today. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think I, I'd say maybe 5 to 10, so I suspect our number now is higher than yeah. 2006. This was a few days ago. but. The cases that are coming in, they are quarantine act tickets because people are still crossing the border by that's, land that's and by air. Is, right. So I think this will continue to happen. And some people believe that they may be exempt from from a quarantining environment uh, requirement or exempt from taking a COVID test and they're actually not exempt and then they get fined. Right. And then there are people who um, received tickets uh, before the lockdown was eased, but they right. haven't come to us yet, right. and they're coming to us now. Right. So I suspect that we're still going to be getting a steady flow of tickets. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I mean, when, when 2,000 people across this country, like really, in almost every province and territory, I don't think we have anyone in Nunavut. Uh, I don't think we do. But I know we have Yukon, Northwest Territories. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, uh, Ontario in the West. Quebec, we have a whole Quebec oh, yeah. law firm. They're probably at several hundred now. Uh, over two, 200 people. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to sound too proud of this because you don't want to be proud of helping in, in a disaster. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. 
But I am proud of our team. You, Victoria, are you're a lawyer and you're the coordinator. The three paralegals. Mm-hmm. I forgot about the new fellow we just hired to handle it. So I'm proud of the team. Let me say that. I'm proud of the fact that we've assembled a network of lawyers coast to coast. We do need help in Halifax and St. John's, if you can help us. And obviously, the greatest thanks goes to our viewers mm-hmm. who paid for it. Because everyone, you know, of the lawyers, we do pay. Now, I think we do try and negotiate to keep their rates down. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you give a lawyer 20 cases, mm-hmm. he's going to give you a discount. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we are being responsible with the money. Oh, definitely. And yeah, and these are lawyers who are doing this for the principal. I don't think they're looking to get rich. And they are not, you know, recent graduates. All of them are senior counsel, some former crown prosecutors. Yeah, that's really they cool. have, Yeah, they have entire law firms behind them. None of them practice alone. So there is one head, you know, main lawyer that's representing the firm, but they're working with many lawyers within their firm and paralegals and staff. So it's a staggering amount of lawyers and staff and law firms that are working with us on this project. Yeah, I mean, and and some of them, our viewers probably know, Leighton Gray, for example, Queen's Counsel. Mm -hmm. Um, We've interviewed him actually as a guest a couple years ago on the channel. So, I mean, he's a very senior lawyer. Anyone who's a QC, Queen's Counsel, that Mm -hmm. means you've been around a while and you're recognized by the government as being a leader in the profession. Um, I just want to say one more thing, because a a few months ago, we had an innovation that really helped us, and it was the advent of the Democracy Fund, Mm -hmm. which is a registered CRA charity that has as one of its activities civil liberties litigation. Mm -hmm. And so, all of a sudden, the money we were raising and spending on these lawyers could uh, could receive a charitable tax receipt. Mm -hmm. And that made a lot of difference because all of a sudden someone who was going to donate 50 bucks, well, they could donate 60 or 70 or 80 Mm -hmm. and have the same net result. As I like to joke, it reduces your taxes. If if you could pay $20 less in tax to Trudeau and have that money go to fight the fines, why wouldn't you do it? That's at least in my Mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. So the democracyfund.ca is the charity that's been helping us. And I want to say that they are looking for a project manager. So you would be working with Victoria and other folks on the team to continue the good work. If you or someone you know would like to be a project manager for the Democracy Fund working on civil liberties projects, other humanitarian projects, go to thedemocracyfund.ca slash jobs and apply and you'll be working with great folks like Victoria. Well, listen, thanks again. I, I want to say we've done a lot of things in six and a half years at Rebel News. Done a lot of interesting stories, not just here in Canada, but around the world. We've been to a great many countries, you know, a great many crises from Hong Kong to Iraq, to Israel, to Mexico, to all over America and Europe. But I think that perhaps the greatest thing we have done in terms mm-hmm. of changing the world has been helping these 2006 families. I really feel that way and I like to joke that when I get to heaven and they close the pearly gates on me and say, you go downstairs, Levant, I'll say, no, no, no. And then I'll say, I did something worthwhile in my life and I helped people who needed it. And Victoria, you were a key part of that, thank God. And and everyone who chipped in, whether it was 50 bucks or 500, or there were some Mm -hmm. folks who gave even more. So thank you to you. Sounds like we're not out of the woods yet. Oh, no. I think we're just beginning. 
because now courts will reopen and this is when the fight will really start. Yeah, well, we better keep fundraising then because uh, <laughs> it's one thing to take the cases, it's another to run hundreds of trials, but mm -hmm. we have to. Yeah. We absolutely yeah. have to. Well, there you have it, an update, 2006 cases plus, you know, five, 10 more every day. Thank you for your support. If you want to join the team, the Democracy Fund is looking for a project manager. Go to the democracyfund.ca slash jobs. And uh, as Victoria can show, it's a very meaningful job. It's not just a job, it's a way to help your fellow Canadian. All right, stay with us more. Hey, welcome back on my show last night. Stark writes, I work for the government. Trust me, no scarier words have been spoken. Yeah, well, they're not even asking you to trust them. They're just sort of forcing you to obey them. It's even different, isn't it? Brad writes, sounds like a message from a cult leader. Yeah, that Jacinda Ardern, she has so many trappings of a cult leader, um, but that is oozing around the world uh, to Canada, even to Joe Biden. MAW writes, all government messages are identical. I wonder who sends them their daily briefings to read to the public. Well, that's the thing. When Trump was in office, he was a real anomaly. And since he was the president of the most powerful country in the world, that was enough to be a dam against this mighty river of globalism and leftism. But now that Joe Biden is there, the river runs through it. And you've got everyone from Angela Merkel to Trudeau to, you know, pretty much to Macron to pretty much every country in the world now on board. Donald Trump resisted the tide. I don't know if America's gonna be transformed enough in the next four years to stop such a president from ever being elected again. Wouldn't surprise me. That's our show for the day and for the week. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.